everyone and welcome to another edition of the Mac and Forbes Show. My name's Carl Madden and we're here once again to talk about the week's Apple and technology-related news. And joining me straight out of the gate once again, Alan Vickers. How are you, sir? I'm um, very well, Carl. Thank you. Loving this sunny, sunny weather. It's nice, isn't it? It's been great. Yeah, really nice. Been up to anything? Well, just the same stuff. I've been going out exercising every day and um, you know, closing the rings on the Apple Watch. But I did have a bit of a disaster the other day when I, I cross-referenced the, um, the step counting on my Apple Watch against my Fitbit, which I always keep in my mm. pocket. And the other evening, I looked at the, the Fitbit app and it said zero steps. I thought, oh, I forgot to keep it, get it charged. And I looked in my pocket and it had gone. So I've lost my Fitbit, but Fitbit won. Oh. Yeah, I've had that for about three years. I, I really like the thing. Mainly for sleep tracking at night because I use it at night. But um, yeah, sorry to have lost that. And I've no idea. It could have been anywhere on an eight mile walk that I lost it. So I've got no chance of finding it. Now, you do know if you use the Apple Watch and the Fitbit together, you don't get to add them both together. <laughs> I to do. Give I you can myself it. I'm worth double that way. That explains how you do so much. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm lucky because Fitbit don't feed into the health app, do they? So oh, it's, okay. uh, it's partitioned <clears throat> off. Ah, uh, good stuff, good stuff. Also joined us this week, he's been away for a while, and now he's back, Mr. Don McAllister, Screencast Online himself. How are you doing, Don? Hello, Carl. I'm doing very well, thank you. And same as Alan, enjoying the sunny weather. We've had a, a week of glorious sunshine up here. Mind you, it's uh, given me the opportunity to get out and do some physical physical labour, which uh, doesn't always sit well, but um, at least it's done now and it's out the way. There we ask what you've been doing. Oh, uh, nothing glamorous. Uh, resealing my path. Uh, with some acrylic <laughs> sealer, but uh, I've got all the gear. I've got the proper the safety gear and the uh, the mask as well. So uh, I've been inhaling fumes for three days. <laughs> Goodness! Now, did you fill out a risk assessment before? I you didn't. Work? No, no, no. I didn't. No, no. Um, often they didn't take it that far. They're not going to be happy with you. That's all right. <laughs> the neighbours, I feel sorry for because they didn't have the masks, so they they got the full brunt of it. You know? Oh, I see. Now you've not only just been doing that, have you done? You've been away again. You've been on one of your many trips. Yes, I've been over to um, Las Vegas. Vegas, baby. No, it was the Viva. NAB 2017. Um, a couple of weeks ago now. Um, so I've been back. Yeah, it's a, it's a good show. I originally went there. It's, it's the National Association of Broadcasters event. So it's one of these huge conferences that they have over in, uh, not so much a conference, it's more of an exhibition, but they do have a conference stream as well. But it's meant really for, um, you know, uh, TV and radio broadcasters. And two years, three years ago, um, we used to have the Blog World Expo, which was like a podcaster conference, and they actually held it at the same time as NAB. And I went over three years ago to go to the Blog World conference, and I was so impressed with what I saw and what was going on with NAB that um, even though the Blog World no longer exists, I went back this year to have another look at the NAB conference. Uh, some fantastic kit. Um, there's a training stream as well, so if you want to get trained up on Final Cut Pro or any of the other post-production software, there's, there's loads of training. As free sessions as well with people sort of giving seminars, but the the conference itself is huge. I mean, the Las Vegas Conference Center is absolutely ginormous. So three huge halls, two of them double layer, and just basically anything you want to see to do with broadcast industry is there. It's just mm -hmm. phenomenal. And does Final Cut Pro have have a decent presence there? They don't officially. Um, Apple again, it's one of these uh, conferences where Apple don't actually have a booth or present um but you know it's still it's it's it is making inroads into back into um post-production professional mm. post-production because they've they you know since it was rewritten uh it's been significantly updated so plenty of um stuff about final cut pro but no official presence from apple mm. uh, there, was, there was no main don't think there was any particular announcements to do with final cut pro but lots of the uh 
equipment that go with it for video production, like Blackmagic and, you know, all the vendors are there showing their latest and greatest bits of, of video kits. Uh, there yeah. was a, a good session put on by a company called FCP Works, which did include a couple of Apple people sort of giving a presentation. Um, but that was really main, aimed at sort of indie film developers and how you use Final Cut Pro uh, to do feature films and indie films. But it's very interesting. Hmm. Was, there, was there any talk about uh, any of the guys there about the possibility of new Mac Pros next year or the year after? Not really. Um, no, although it was, you know, chatting to people in the halls and whatever, people are quite excited by the possibility of what might come along. Um, but no, not nothing really. Nothing was, you know, there was no no rumours other than what we've heard on, on many of the other podcasts. Yeah. Lots of uh, outboard equipment, though. So, like, they, they, they sort of focus on, you know, production studios whereby you, you'll have um, uh, – people in the field on set gathering video footage and the metadata that's required to uh, bring that back in-house and then to uh, assimilate all that information and to automatically populate Final Cut Pro with all the metadata and then what you do in a a collaborative workflow. So lots of sort of collaboration, uh, lots of sort of special units that allow you to to do some pretty clever things with Final Cut Pro. Mm. And, and and green screens, so they can pretend they're in war zones when they're not I'll tell really. you what, green screens are <laughs> phenomenal. Um, not so much Final Cut Pro, but uh, there are plenty of organisations who um, service, you know, the proper news organisations and TV studios. And loads of demos of what they can do now with uh, <laughs> green screen technology is just phenomenal. There was one I saw which was like a a guy and a lady sort of standing in a huge, just completely surrounded by green screen in this virtual studio set. And they do a live demo of what they can do. And on the side, on the wall is like a football field, you know, a video of a football field. And the, the lady actually steps into the panel. And the next thing, she's at 3D on this football field and she can walk. It's just mind-blowing what they can do. <laughs> Incredible. And then just steps out of the panel and she's back in the studio again. You know, it's just phenomenal. Yeah. Did you see that video that went viral last week with that Russian granny that has discovered how to do green screen? No. One of the, you want to look it up on YouTube. It's ever so funny. Because she's, she's a granny. She's into granny things like sewing and knitting and all that. Granny like, things. Yeah, she's sort of like, she's knitted and sewn herself together these green screen suits that she wears on her green screen set. And she makes these little three or four minute videos of her like swimming in the sea for no apparent reason or riding a, a cartoon horse and all sorts of things. But she tries to sort of, um, it's a bit like the russian granny version of screencast online to be honest okay. she's, trying to, she's trying to teach the world how to do green screening it's right. worth looking at i'll have to check that out <laughs> yeah get her on on the board <laughs> i've done nothing this week all i've done is take advantage of another itunes build your collection week this week the 80s that's all i've done i mean so much money to apple spending more itunes money. now yeah it's ridiculous <clears throat> oh well oh well well, speaking of video, <laughs> nice link, isn't it? Um, Amazon have announced their, their next Echo product as well, and it's going to be called the Echo Short Show. Uh, so this is going to be released in the US only, boo, on the 28th of June, uh, priced at $229.99. A seven-inch touchscreen has built-in eight microphones, uh, beamforming technology and noise cancellation, cancellation even, uh, powerful Dolby... Uh, 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 speakers at the bottom with extended bass response apparently uh, you'll be able to call up things like video and YouTube and see lyrics <clears throat> also access your security cameras photos weather forecasts do lists all kinds of things as well and also one of the interesting features I thought was be able to talk to your fat friends and family through uh, a messaging app that they're going to build in mm-hmm. and it's not only going to be in 
that particular model, but it's also going to spill out into the other Echo um, items as well as the application as well itself. Now, <clears throat> that was meant to have been gone live yesterday, but it's obviously not in the UK. Again, it's a US-only flipping thing, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, there was obviously lots of rumors buzzing, buzzing around recently about Apple maybe producing some sort of Siri uh, speaker thing. But and I, I've got mixed feelings about this. One, I think it, it's a fantastic idea because, hey, it's new technology, so I'm going to love that. But it does kind of look like a rear projection <laughs> telly from the 80s. It just <laughs> shrunk, shrunk down a little bit. But I don't know. What do you got? What, uh, Don, what did you make of this when you saw it? Well, again, I've sort of got mixed feelings in, in that I think it's both a good idea and, and perhaps a bit naff um, because it's – you know, it's it's not new technology, really. We there's been plenty of devices that have been sort of aimed at you know the kitchen with video conferencing and stuff. So it seems a little bit old, but um, I mean, kudos to them. You know, the Echo um, has done really, really well, and it's you know it's it seems to be like the the standard now for um, this sort of you know asking or, or virtual assistance that you just ask. But I don't know. I, I'm not sure if the idea of it being a fixed fixed in one place and having video because we're so used now to having mobile video devices that we can take around and use anywhere. I'm not sure the fact that it's going to be sort of like a fixed unit stuck somewhere, if that's going to be a disadvantage, or in fact, it could actually be an advantage because you know where to go to, to have a look at the screen. And I don't have very, very mixed feelings about it at the moment. Mm. Alan? Yeah, I, I, I sort of mixed too, but on, on balance, I think, yeah, they're moving in the right direction. I think it's a very shrewd move by them. And I think the timing is, is very, key as well isn't it it's definitely a, a sort of a spoiler announcement because i think they i think they're pretty much anticipating that google home will announce a video-based um home device soon as well and and of course they're aware that apple has got wwdc coming up and the rumors are that they may have a, a siri device to talk about there as well so because this is a clear um what month and a half away from actually being available so these this pre-ordering it's quite an early announcement really I know, I know they've they've pretty much got the spec covered. They know what they're going to say about it. They've got all the marketing screens done. They've got the videos made, and so it, it does look pretty complete. But it's still early, I think, to be announcing it when it's still a month and a half away. So I think they just want to get first to market again, don't they, and get the mind share of everybody. So everybody thinks that this kind of device is synonymous with Amazon, basically. Yeah, true. I mean, have you have you seen the four and a half minute video? Yeah, God, it's uh, enough late on that it's all about family, don't they? <laughs> oh my God, it's like a soap opera. <laughs> it just goes on and on and on. And although some of the things they're showing are quite compelling, the the way they're showing them, I don't think it's that particularly compelling. Unfortunately, like you know, um, we've come we've come from an age like yeah, just the other week, Google, uh, sorry, Microsoft produced their laptop, a Surface laptop. And the accompanying video to that was all flashy, like you know the exploding technology and all coming back together again. Mm. As I, you know, you can you can see there's real value behind that market employee. And then you get this one from from Amazon. It's just like third rate actors, <laughs> yeah. sort of like saying their lines in a really stilted co- way. It just seems odd to me as well. I mean, yeah. it's it's strange, isn't it? Really, Cause, I mean, you've got to give them kudos for sort of mm. announcing it and for what they've done with the Echo has been fantastic. And but it did take a while for the Echo to to come over to the UK. And again, with this new device now, it's US only. I mean, you know, we we get a bit used to Apple. You know, when they release a product, it it gets released worldwide, or at least you know the mm. top ten countries or whatever. Um, you know, there's none of this US only nonsense. So that that's that is a minus. And again, 
you know, we're looking at WWDC. I fully agree with, with Alan that I think it's a preemptive strike before WWDC um, because we, I know we were going to talk about it later, but Schiller's sort of before this was announced was sort of um, dissing the Echo with not having a screen. So some, some firm indications that Apple probably would bring something out with a screen. Hmm. But, the, you know, it's typical Apple. They, they're not normally first to market. They They let the market start to develop and then, Hopefully they come out with some sort of blockbuster product. And I think although the Echo is quite, you know, it's quite widespread now, I don't think it's sort of at the stage whereby it's ubiquitous. Every single household has an Echo. Uh, quite a few have, but I don't think it's the unassailable as of yet. But they need to move quickly, I think, if they're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I think um, what you were saying earlier on, Don, as well, about people being used to video calling now. Even, you know, my parents video call people all across the world in their family using their iPads and they carry them from room to room when necessary and so on. But I think I still think a device like this in a permanent place in your home mm. has, has got a place. There's something about it. It's like, um, you know, back in the old days of a landline when your phone was in the hall, everyone knew it was there. It was a mm-hmm. shared device. You'd walk there to make your phone call. I mean, this could be in the kitchen or, or I'm sure Amazon want to sell you more than one. They yeah. they'd want one in the bedroom for baby monitoring. They'd want one in the kitchen for, you know, chit-chatting while you're cooking and all that and they probably want one in the living room as well so buy as many as you want from them but i think there is something to be said for that that kind of device but i was thinking in in apple's case there's that should be even more attractive to apple because this could be a way for them to sell like the first apple device to to a household someone that doesn't yet own an iphone because they're too expensive or an ipad or whatever and this could be like the the foot in the door to the apple ecosystem an apple version of, of something just like this if it was a super powered siri uh, entry into the Apple ecosystem, um, you know, people get a good experience with it and they think, oh, I like this Apple stuff. Maybe I will get myself an iPhone next time I change my phone. Or maybe maybe I should trade in my Samsung tablet for an iPad because it'll work with this thing I bought and I really like it. Yeah. The problem it's is li- it's pricing, isn't it? That's the, the problem with mm-hmm. Apple because it's it's probably not going to be cheap. Um, no. But <laughs> again, I mean, the, 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 uh, the AirPods, uh, they're not cheap, although when you actually do a breakdown and see how much technology is built into them, they, they actually, compared to other similar devices, um, they are actually aggressively aggressively priced, but whether or not they can do that with uh, with their equivalent, um, hopefully they can. I think they'd need yeah. to. I was thinking also, you know all those rumours we heard about um, the next version of the Apple TV being, or, or the Apple TV OS being multi-user? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. iOS devices so far aren't multi-user. They're all personal devices, aren't they? And that's a bit awkward with a, a TV, which is a shared device. Well, an Apple speaker device in your kitchen would have to also be a shared device, wouldn't it, with multi-user support? So all those rumours, I think, start to tie together. And I think I think we can expect something along those lines at WWDC. This is, this is the fun part, isn't it? Trying to guess what <laughs> Apple will do. Chances are Apple's going to do none of this. Yeah. <laughs> but we all forget these like elaborate ideas that we come up with whenever they actually give us what they actually finally do give us. But that's part of the fun. Mind you, some people say we're idiots for doing it. It's always a problem, though, isn't it? Because expectation builds and builds. And as we get closer to WWDC, you know, more expectation builds. I think they've started to... Um, be in a position whereby they they can start to play down rumors when they start to get out of hand. I think they they put feelers out or they put you know you know we just give them a nod to say this isn't actually going to happen so that expectations mm. are, are trying to be cooled down a bit. But you have to say, I mean, we had no spring event, um, so we've had no really major um, releases for at least six months from from Apple. So I'm hoping that they will come out with a bit of a bit of an offensive over WWDC and, and give us something that we can you know get excited about. Yeah. yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Uh, well, you touched on it there, uh, Don. 
Phil. So Phil Schiller was out doing some PR stuff, I think. Uh, and, and you stuck this story in, Alan. So I'm going to let you lead on this one for once. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, this caught my eye for a, well, a few reasons, really. One is that um, this is like hard evidence out of a house. Seriously, Apple is taking the India market because he mentioned it in the uh, in the quarterly results, didn't they? I think Tim Cook said that the India economy and the Indian tech sector is the, the fastest growing he's ever seen anywhere in the world ever. So they are taking it really seriously. And to that extent, Phil Schiller himself was out there at the end of March opening that new um, app accelerator facility, as they call it, um, over in a place called Bengaluru, I think it's called. And um, But while he was there, he was interviewed by one of the, the Indian tech news sites, a place called Gadget360. And even though it was, it was four or five weeks ago now, more than that even, they've only just sort of published that interview. And it, it really was quite interesting, especially when you bear in mind the timing of it. And he, there were three main things he talked about. One was he, he was asked about App Store uh, upgrade pricing, which has never been there, obviously. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I mean, his answer along those lines was was pretty strong that he doesn't think it's going to happen. He, he sort of said it's technically difficult, and even if they were, they were minded to overcome the technical hurdles, he doesn't really think it's needed. That the app store's done well this far without it, and that now they they provide subscriptions, which he thinks is the way forward for app pricing. So that was that was interesting. Um, and the one of the other things was about Swift. He's right, really pleased with the way Swift is going, especially as a as a way to teach programming to children of a younger and younger age. And he he hinted quite strongly, I think, that at WWDC there'll be some more news about the next version of Swift and also about uh, Swift Playgrounds, um, which I think we can look forward to hearing about in just two three weeks' time. But the the main one I was interested in was again this this talk about uh, a voice driven assistant. And like Don said earlier, he was he was asked what his view was about the Amazon Echo and about the Google Home and devices like it, and he he really didn't want to talk about it. He said he, he said he'd rather his mother had advised him that if he didn't have something nice to say, then don't say anything at all. But then what he did say was that he thinks um, voice only isn't the way forward, and that that a, a voice driven assistant requires a screen. But what was different this time was previously he sort of said similar things, but he's always hinted that. We've all got voice-driven assistants called Siri in our pockets because it's part of our iPhone, it's part of our iPad. But this time he never really mentioned that part of it. Um, so again, I think this was the, perhaps the earliest hint that Apple are serious about uh, a voice-driven assistant with a screen that we can maybe expect to see fairly soon. So did, did you read this um, this interview? What did, what did you reckon to it? Yeah, I mean, I did. I went through it and, uh, you know, all the things. Uh, when he's saying about Swift, I'm hoping they'll make it easier because I got about to lesson eight and it stumped me. <laughs> <laughs> I started off, this is easy. This is easy. Go forward, go back, go up, jump down, whatever, pick the thing up. And then all of a sudden, where the hell do I do this one? (laughs) Oh, well, that's just me. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're obviously aware what other industries are doing. And uh, there's, although although going by sales figures, like I think we mentioned earlier, the the Echo and, and the Google Home, they're not selling in any kind of numbers that would classify as a major hit for Apple. No. But they are, you know, they are big sellers. Uh, and Apple just has nothing in that field at the moment. Nothing. I mean, Siri's fine, but a lot of people uh, say about Siri, it, it gets things wrong. It doesn't hear what they're saying because most of the time it's having to rely on a little tiny microphone in, in your phone. And although they've got better over time, they're still not seven beam forming microphones, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, the one on your remote for the Apple TV is quite good. But um, it's, it's still not the same kind of level as what uh, Echo and Google Home are, 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 are offering. So if they can, if they do see it as a viable option, I 
I have no reason why they they shouldn't because, you know, as we've said, they've got enough of the services in the background to take full advantage of it straight from out the gate. They've got a developer team behind them that can just produce skills mm-hmm. as long as they release the APIs, of course. They, yeah. They've got anything. And, of course, you know, they've got Beats if they want speakers. Uh, everybody loves – most people with Apple devices, as I said last week, are probably pony up for Sonos devices, so they're not bothered about spending money yeah. on audio and things like this. And And it would be – you know, a nice piece of sculptured hardware, I would hope, if Johnny Ive had anything to do with it. Yeah. And if it's got a decent enough size screen as well, I was thinking there's, there's absolutely no reason why it couldn't have an inbuilt Apple TV or an inbuilt TV app as well. I mean, if it was your, if it was your kitchen portable telly as well as your voice assistant, that would be quite a compelling product. I think they they need to get Siri right though. If they, if they aren't going to do it, it's, they 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 can't afford to miss on this one because, I mean, let's face it, Siri, although it, it works. Some of the time, um, I think we we suffer from. I know I do. I've had so many sort of, um, you know, just hasn't worked at occasionally that I, I never really bother to use it now, other than just for setting timers or something very very simple. So mm. if they are going to bring Siri in, I think it needs to be a, a revised sort of updated Siri. It might well be that it's just a hardware related problem, you know, and that the microphones on the current devices that we have just aren't good enough, and they they can actually sort that out with a you know a, a dedicated siri machine so uh but uh, yeah it works it worked flawlessly when you use the airpods with it i mean it always understands yeah. what i'm saying because they're right there they're, mm-hmm. they've also got a beam a beam forming mm-hmm. mic in them mm-hmm. so but they're right near my gob <laughs> yeah i was quite interested going back to the article about his comments about upgrade pricing though because i can't really understand why he thinks it's so um complicated because you know you buy <laughs> you buy a piece of software and then 12 months later the developer brings a new version out and there's an upgrade price. So you know, what's hard about that? And his comments about um, the subscription model being the way forward. I mean, we've seen the pushback that people have had when yeah. they try to bring in subscription models for software. Um, it's just It just doesn't work for, for a lot of software companies, that, and it causes more problems. Than, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a valid way to sustain um, a software developer. And if they can roll out a subscription model, great. But... I would think that the upgrade pricing is a sort of a halfway house, and that would probably be applicable to to quite a few software vendors where a subscription model really doesn't apply to to the software that they're developing. Yeah, no, I think you're dead right. I mean, I, I don't I don't like um, subscription pricing for apps. I mean, no no problem for a service. There's plenty of services which are which are perfectly designed for a subscription type um, uh, model. But an app, I, I just don't see it that way. I, I resist going for an app that requires a subscription. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people like me. But we got all the big boys doing it now. It always sounds weird when I say that. But, you know, you've got Microsoft doing it, obviously, with Office. You've got um, Adobe with Photoshop and all their raft yeah. of service, uh, apps they use. I was thinking it's- about that because the, the, the thing they've got in common and the reason why they seem to work is that they've got a history of being, like, really, really expensive apps. Yeah. So when you compare it with a, with a you know, a bite-sized subscription now, it, it sort of psychologically feels like you're getting a bargain. But some some of the newer apps, which are you know just as good, just as powerful, just as productive, um, they started off as you know four ninety nine, didn't they? Nine ninety nine, and and it's it's a hard sell for them to convince people to be paying four ninety nine per month now rather than a one off sale. So yeah, but don't doesn't that where you get into the whole series of an expanded market? For example, if you can sell a thousand copies of a, an app that sells for four ninety nine, and that's it, that's you know, whatever you're getting for that. But if you can convince a million people to give you uh, a pound every six months, 
you know, how when when did a math start to mm. decide? What I'm saying is the size of the potential market because yeah. people will see the cost. Because you know, people balk at paying ninety nine p for apps nowadays. Yeah. I mean, a, a poor developers, so I don't see how they can win. Yeah. Um, like for example, I've just given. I've just subscribed to uh, Marco's Overcast app because I thought he's done a really good job and he's asking for like nine quid a year. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah okay, I'll give you nine quid a year because I know he's got a proven record of continuing to improve that application rather than just letting it stagnate and yeah. then come out two years later with the next like Overcast 2 or something. I think you're right. I think that, that has got a chance of success because um, that's a bit like an upgrade, isn't it? You, you used to expect software to be um, re-released every year on average, and you would expect a, a fairly reasonable uh, upgrade price. And subscribing on, a, on a, an annual basis seems about right, I think. You know, yeah. I mean, it's no problem, is it? it might, you, you could consider that you know, with Apple's stance about not, not implementing the upgrade is that they are sort of forcing people's hands to go down the subscription pricing model for the greater good because they, they – probably have worked out that the only way software developers can actually keep a sustainable business model is to go down the subscription route and they're trying to drag us you know screaming and uh, screaming and crying to uh, to go down that route but it is it is a really hard sell for especially for these small utility apps that mm. don't provide you know they provide value but perhaps not something that people can um you know consider on a on a, on a monthly basis yeah that's true. That's true. Well, you know, basically, I th- I think the reason he says it's hard is because they don't offer it. <laughs> yeah, I think they don't want to offer it, so it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's very like um, company speak. That's what I'm going to say. Speaking of company speak, now we did report along with everybody else that um, the affiliate rates for applications was going to drop from seven percent to two point five percent. Now the company has now confirmed that that original announcement was misinterpreted and the changes aren't as drastic. So it actually is not the applications themselves, the affiliate application. It's now going to be just the in-app purchases that get cut to 2.5% moving forward. So all the, you know, the main purchase still remains at 7%. Uh, I'm not quite sure how this rumor spread so widely. I'm, I'm trying to, I was trying to go back and, and work out who originally reported the story because uh, I think it was, it was based on like an email that Apple sent out. So yeah. I'm not sure how everybody interpreted it wrong. Well, um, I, don't, I think that's Apple speak saying that everybody misinterpreted well, it. I mean, I think they miswrote it, didn't they? You interpreted it wrong. <laughs> yeah, they were holding it wrong. But it, uh, Apple, I don't know, it was deliberate or what. Maybe they fully intended everything to go down to 2.5% and, and have since changed their mind. But even if that isn't the case and it was a mistake, it, I think it certainly was a mistake on Apple's part. That that initial statement was not clear. It made it look like it was all going to 2.5%. Yeah. Plus, it, it took a long time for them to correct it as well. Yeah, and they corrected it in just such a low-profile way, didn't they? <laughs> just told a few people. Uh, dear. Mm. See, again, fantastic reporting by the tech press there. We get it right all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, at least that's at least it's done now. Um, apparently, Fitbit, sorry, Apple overtakes Fitbit. Hey, you shouldn't worry too much, Alan. Yeah, don't bother buying a new one, yeah. <laughs> According to strategy analyst, Apple have overtaken Fitbit to be the largest wearable vendor in the world. The market research firm claims that Apple sold around 3.5 million Apple Watches in the first three months of calendar 2017. By comparison, Fitbit suffered a decline and only managed to sell 2.9 million um, in, the same, in the same quarter. That's quite surprising because the Fitbit is considerably cheaper than the Apple Watch. Mm, yeah. I mean, considerably cheaper than the Apple so uh, yeah, so it was. It was. I remember the last quarter. It was lauded over Apple that Fitbit is still eating their lunch when it comes to these little monitoring devices, but they're not quite saying that now, are they? Mm. Yeah. Uh, and it's. You know, I, I, 
I mean, I've, I've started to see more and more Apple Watches in the wild. There was that, there was that time where I was the only one <laughs> walking around with one on my wrist. But now I go, I go to shops, I go on the tube, I go you know, to pubs and restaurants and things. I see them out and about now. I don't see them as much as the iPhone, granted, but then I probably never will when you see anything like that. But yeah, I'm certainly noticing, noticing them more because they're so distinctive on people's wrists. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think Apple are in it for the long haul, aren't they? They, they, they never... I don't think they actually thought it would be a blockbuster product straight out of the gate. So, you know, they brought out the first version and they brought out the Series 2 and they're bringing the price down of the original one. And, you know, there'll be probably be another one this year with some additional features, some additional monitoring. And then you know, the other two versions will, will go down in price to to the point whereby eventually it's, you know, oh, oh, well, may as well get one of those Apple Watches now. They're less than, you know, 100 quid or whatever. So I, th- I think they're in it for the long haul. Just to, And the end game is really to get it on as many people's risks as, as, as possible so that uh, they can sort of do more with this wearable market. Yeah. Yes, it is good. It is good. Well, speaking about the Apple Watch, if you're in the US, Mother's Day is fast approaching. I don't know why you guys have it on a different day to us, but there you go. Uh, so Sunday, the 14th of May, that's your app Mother's Day uh, in the States. Just in case you've forgotten, just helping you out there. Public service announcement. <laughs> well, <laughs> Apple is giving you a challenge. Uh, and if you accomplish this challenge, you get a nice looking flower uh, in your activity uh monitoring folder whatever it is and all you have to do is complete a walk run or wheelchair workout that lasts for more than one mile uh, and you get the award so we don't get that i notice again the uk left out in the cold bloody <laughs> typical isn't it hello what have we done wrong <laughs> so if you got half a mile to the garage to buy the flowers half a mile back and you're sorted, sorted. give the flowers to your mum look at that and what are you talking about people don't walk in the states <laughs> yeah <laughs> Prove me wrong, people. Prove me wrong. <laughs> um, Apple are also offering free iPad Pro smart keyboard repairs. Uh, apparently, I've not had an issue with my one, fortunately. Uh, I want to touch wood, but there's none near me apart from my head. Uh, the keyboard can encounter functional issues such as 40 smart connectors or keys repeating, <laughs> sticking or failing to respond. Um, so citing a memo circulated at Apple stores and authorized repair out. Uh, outfitters they'll now extend the repair period for up to three years so last week we had the the iphone battery repairs being extended to three years and now we've got the the keyboard going up to three years as well Uh, should we be worried about this is this like highlighting a trend or is it just them covering their butts Hmm. i suppose you could argue that it's a bit worrying that that these devices are are developing faults but i take this as a positive story Hmm. really that apple yeah when you buy apple you can be confident they will look after you in a support sense I mean, they're doing the right thing here, aren't they? They're doing right by their customers. Yeah, I'd agree with that because I think they did the same with the Apple Watch, didn't they? With the original Apple Watch, they've added an extra year onto the warranty period. I mean, that can only be a good thing. Uh, I mean, it might be indicative of perhaps more faults than they anticipated, but you know, at least they're, they're, they're keeping their customers covered by extending the warranty. So, yeah, I, I saw it as a positive as well. Mind you, saying that, I, I must check to see if my. Uh, my keyboard's still working because I, I don't use it. The, the, it's it's so slim that it can just stay on the iPad. But I've, I think I've ever only used it twice or three times since I bought it. I'm still quite happy with the uh, the on screen keyboard. Uh, I like using yeah. an external keyboard when I'm u- using multitasking because if you if you use multitasking to get two apps up and the keyboard pops up as well, everything's ever so cramped. Yeah, true. Is, is this a sore point for you, Alan? Because you still haven't got a pro yet. I haven't got a pro. I've got an ordinary device. iPad Air too, <laughs> and I've got a, an Apple uh, wireless keyboard in a what do you call those things? An origami stand. That's a nice little stand, and that's what I use for my setup when I'm out and about. And money burning in your pocket for that new yeah. ten point nine device, whatever it was. Well, that's another thing they're going to squeeze into WWDC, isn't it? <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> still holding on. 
Yeah, I can't wait. Oh, dear. I, I, if they do announce that, I just I can picture it. My messenger thing will light up with just the words, yes, exclamation mark. <laughs> That's the one I want, the 10.5 with the, the real estate of the big iPad Pro in the size of the, the smaller iPad Pro. That's what I want. Yes. Well, we'll see. We'll see if it's popular. They must have been working on something. As to say, you know, they didn't have any real thing to announce the, in March. So, come on, Apple. <laughs> It does make you think what they're doing, though, because there's this huge company. They've got all this money in the bank, and they've got all these smart people. And, you know, we've had a pair of AirPods, which which are fantastic and technology is great in them. But you see all these other companies like Samsung and, you know, doing fridges and refrigerators. Not so much that I want Apple to do that, but, you know, they've got this whole range of products that they can still sort of bring out. But poor old Apple, they're, they're, you know, they're still at the point where they can put all their products on a single desktop again, I think. So, yeah, weird. Yes. Well, I think what they're doing is they're all packing up their offices, getting ready to move. So, no one can do anything because all their stuff's in boxes, waiting <laughs> to move over to the Apple Park. That's what I reckon it is. They're all like biting at the bit. Come on, let us in, let us in, let us in. Oh, dear. Oh, well. Uh, are you going to go and play, uh, go and do your pilgrimage to that place, Don, when it? When it finally opens, do you reckon? Yeah, I'd love to if uh, if I can snag an invite from somewhere. But um, <laughs> but mind you, there will be there will be a, a public area as well. I think yeah, there's going to be going to be a visitor centre. Yeah, it's going to be a visitor centre, which is going to be greatly expanded to the to the one that they've, they've currently got in the, in the current campus. But yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to go over and um, and see. I've, I've actually got a friend who lives about two blocks away from from where the place <laughs> lives, so I'm sorted for accommodation. I just got to get an invite to to the actual place itself, but. Uh, yeah, are, one, you, um, are you going to WWDC this year, Don? Uh, no, not this year. I haven't been for a couple of years, to be honest. Um, I did go. I did actually buy a ticket for WWDC once and, and went on as an attendee, mm. and um, that was before it was it was so difficult to get tickets. Uh, and it was interesting, but although I've got apps in the App Store and uh, I don't actually do any of the development stuff, but it was you know it was still interesting to yeah more sort of networking with people yeah yeah and and now there's a there's a whole sort of um, separate ecosystem of conferences that have sprung up around it so mm. uh, perhaps next year I might go over next year especially if um, if the campus is up and running so perhaps <laughs> perhaps that might be next year I'll, I'll go back probably not to the again because the tickets are so in short supply I'd probably go and go to one of the other conferences that are over there like the layers conference or there's a couple now over there I think yeah. Oh, good stuff, good stuff. Um, we've got to take a slight departure now because we've got to talk something about something that interests me and I think probably interests a lot of the listeners as well, and that's autonomous vehicles because we all, in the tech sphere, we all get you know caught up in the fact that, oh, yes, we can have our, our Tesla that auto-drives along the highway or, or the motorway and stuff like this, and, and you know Google are looking at their cars. There's some weird thing in Greenwich at the moment that is taxiing people left, right, and centre. Um, and obviously, like Microsoft are, I think I've read somewhere Microsoft now starting to get into it with Ford. Uh, and Apple, you know, was supposedly working on Titan. All these things are great. But there was a report by this organization called uh, Rethink X, uh, an independent think tank focusing on technology impacting on transportation, energy, finance, and healthcare. Um, and it, it produced a report. And it basically reports a lot, goes along the line, technology soon will become so culturally ubiquitous that it will lead to the abandonment of car ownership, a $1 trillion boost in disposable income, and a catastrophic shift for all for the oil industry and driver economy. Uh, tech companies such as Alphabet and automakers such as Ford have long been targeting around 2020 for the first commercial rollout of self-driving ride-hailing fleets. Uh, so, so they've also produced some facts that you know they think are going to... Uh, 
come about. So among the studies views of the mobility scene, by 2030 or before, they're saying this is basically US-based. So 95% of US passenger miles will be served by autonomous electric vehicles owned by companies providing transportation as a service. 60% of those vehicles on the road will be dedicated to that kind of transportation. The average household will pocket an extra $5,600 a year currently allocated to gas-powered fuel power uh, petrol powered uh, car ownership by switching to autonomous electric vehicle services however the downside to this is disruption disrupt disruption looms for many fronts uh says the reports authors hardest hit will be millions of americans who drive for a living whether they're ride hailing drivers or truckers all companies will also see a big hit global demand will peak at 100 million barrels per day in 2020 but will probably drop to about 70 million by 2030 and automate our car makers and related industries such as car dealerships and parts will suffer or shutter with car companies in particular likely having to pivot from becoming manufacturers to of autonomous electric vehicles and possibly ride hailing companies as well so it paints what <laughs> so one side it paints this wonderful future where we're all going around in electric cars and there's no real ownership and we're all just paying a few dollars in their case to to get here and there but on the other side it was abs- i think it will absolutely decimate certain economies and you know as always the tech companies are rushing in and i don't really think apart from when i read this report no one's really thinking of the ramifications of what could actually happen if that whole industry is disrupted and i was just wondering what you guys thought of that um don do you want to go first <laughs> well i've got my own i've only got my own views obviously being a driver but yeah of course, don, you of course. Go first. um yeah i mean the, the whole electric vehicle thing is very exciting and um you know i, I mentioned before uh, we came on i've actually put down a deposit for one of the tesla model threes when they come out just because i would like you know a, an electric car at some point in the future but i do think as they become more and more ubiquitous that the whole idea of car ownership will will start to disappear because it's just it's just so inefficient to actually own this big hunk of metal that sits on your drive for seven, well, eighty-five percent of the time. So, and with using things like Uber and Lyft, I think we're becoming more familiar with, you know, hailing a ride and having it turn up within two minutes. When I was over in Vegas, I mean, it was fantastic. They they've really got it boxed off over there, and Vegas is one of the the the, the so later towns to adopt Uber and Lyft because they've got such a, a strong taxi uh, environment over there. But, you know, if you want to get from one hotel to another, you could you could hail um, an Uber or a Lyft and it would be at your door within a minute, take you straight there. And, you know, it's just it was just so seamless jumping in and jumping out. Uh, no cash, ride arrives, you jump in, get out the other side. And if you just take the driver out of that and you've got electric vehicles doing the same, it's, it's just a really, really simple, straightforward way to, to get people around. And I think people will, you know, move away from actually needing to own cars. And that's, there's a whole ramification then of if people aren't owning cars, then you've got you know, the cars that are on the road are, are getting utilised more. So there's less requirements for parking. So, you know, we can reuse land that's currently set out for parking because cars will be continually moving around. But as you say, there, there, there will be huge impacts on, on various industries, especially in, in the you know, people who drive for a living. Um, and I don't think there's any, any way around that, to be honest. And there's a whole host, a whole different um, area of conversation around things like universal credit where, you know, not so much just driving, but as, as more and more automation, more and more robots come onto the scene, uh, manufacturing jobs are, are being taken over by robots. You know, what are people actually going to do? The whole traditional economy of people working for a living and, and working to earn a salary 
you know, that goes out the window at some point. So, you know, universal credit needs to come in to sort of make people have cash to go ahead and buy things that the robots are actually constructing and building. And it's, you know, we're, we're probably looking 20 or 30 years into the future, but it's going to happen. And we need to, to, to be in a position whereby, you know, we, we can accommodate all the changes that are going to happen. Oh, indeed. Alan, what are your views? Well, I'm a bit more pessimistic on this. I, I think... Um, I think this company in their report, like a lot of other reports, have mixed up two things, really. One is electric vehicles, which I think are a 100% certainty, absolutely no doubt that the oil industry is going to be decimated by the prevalence of electric vehicles. Absolutely 100% sure on that. But the other side is autonomous vehicles, and I'm just completely at the other end of the spectrum on that. I, I can't envisage a time anywhere soon, like in decades from now, when completely autonomous vehicles are going to be allowed out on the roads, um, potentially causing accidents, which is what's going to happen. And I know people that, that think this is going to happen talk about how how many fewer accidents there will be. Um, but when you think about the, the way things happen these days, I think I looked at uh, the 2016 figures for Britain, for the UK, and there were just under 2,000 um, deaths on the road driving related deaths in that year and um so even if you say like it, autonomous vehicles technically could reduce that down to half so so only a thousand or even if you want to be generous say a quarter so only 500 i think the point is that of those 2000 deaths that happened because of human error maybe someone was to blame perhaps in each of those 2000 deaths and each individual person got prosecuted maybe they went to prison maybe they got fined a lot maybe they lost points on their license but you know the it was clear who was responsible they took some punishment for it and the rest of the world goes on and the company still produced cars and humans continued to still make errors and cause crashes but it, it's all kind of distributed but if you say you know autonomous vehicles only cause 500 deaths a year the problem is that those 500 vehicles have been supplied by, you know, maybe five companies, Apple perhaps, um, uh, certainly um, for, you know, Ford, uh, what's the, uh, Tesla, all those, maybe five major um, providers. Well, they've got about, a hundred, on average, about 100 of those deaths are on them. It's all focused on them. They're going to be in court every week or twice a week. And I don't think people are going to accept that kind of thing. They're going to, they're going to have their... Um, you know, their their product shut down. They're not going to be allowed to sell these things because their software contains bugs that go that kills people. You know, you can blame a person and say, "Why did you take your eye off the road? Why did you plow into that bus stop?" You know, it was your fault. But if it's a piece of software that somebody designed and wrote and sold, you know, and and it's their fault, how are they gonna how are they gonna cope with a hundred of those cases piling up one after the other? It's not fit for purpose. A product like that is it? So I, I think. I don't think there's going to be autonomous vehicles for, for decades and decades. I think what there's going to be is increasing levels of driver assistance. So, like, these days we've got we've had cruise control for years and now we're getting, like, lane-changing technology, which is quite nice when you're out on a, on a highway. And you've got parking, which is a great facility. So, so, so do parallel parking by the click of a button. But in every single one of those scenarios, there's still a driver in the driver's seat ready to take over at the hint of anything going awry. And they are still responsible for that ride. They are the driver. And so I, I can't see uh, I can't see autonomous driving where there genuinely is no driver because he's sitting in the back playing with his Wii or playing uh, Sorry? You know, <laughs> reading a book or whatever. You know, it's not it's just not going to happen if you can't if you can't if you can't sit in the back and do what you do something other than driving what's the point anyway if you've got to sit there all the time anticipating that the software might do something wrong well you may as well be driving anyway 
people like driving. It's a, it's a fun activity. So, well, not in London. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I understand where you're coming from, uh, Alan. I really do. I, I understand how how the world's how, sorry how our roads operate today. I can totally see that because all all of the stuff that these cars require have to put up, have to take into account wallies like me on the road for starters doing silly things because we're human. Uh, they have to deal with all the reality reality of how badly our roads are set out and, mm-hmm. and laid out and six and signposted and things like this. Yeah, um, how bad. GPS is, for example, if anything happens, if we get a sunspot, for example, it kind of knocks off the GPS by just a few meters, but that's enough to cause all kinds of havoc sometimes. Mm. Um, but as we start to move forward, if these things do start to come in uh, and be popular, and you've got, to, you've got to remember the amount of money that's going to be behind pushing these things, because it's not just the technology industry as well. It's a lot of people, uh, governments, who want to try and not in all cases, but some cases, want to try and push back the fact that they are so reliant on other countries for their oil, which is why we get into so many flipping wars, is mm. normally over resources. We can say it's all about regime change, all we want, but basically it's about oil. Mm. Um, but as soon as, it, as soon as the eco, as soon as the new roads are built, and they're suddenly, not only do you get a sign up saying 30 miles an hour, you also get a little barcode that that's what the car starts reading. Um because you know, I can start to see these things start to add up and become so you can allow an autonomous vehicle on the road because they're all just problems that need to be solved. I mean, I mean, the human has us as humans as we sit behind. We can look at another human and basically work out what they're doing. We can spot the wally coming up in our rearview mirror, but a computer doesn't have to worry about that. If 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 a significant amount of people on the road of vehicles, I mean, or on the road of computer assisted vehicles, then they can all start talking to each other. And yes, if if some nefarious hacker wants to disrupt the entire, life, they can do that. But that's up to them to try and you know put a shell across that thing and 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 keep it as safe as possible. There's always going to be issues, but the amount of people pushing this technology actually tells me that yeah, we are going to get it at some point. Maybe not like because you think about 2013, 2030. Sorry, it's still 13 years away. Now you just think about all the technology that we've come along in the last 13 years. It's it's quite astounding. And all they're going, what they're basically using is is various scanners, and they're getting more and more data every day. I mean, every, all the time, every moment I use Waze, they're collecting data on everything I do. There, there's there's I see cars whizzing up the motorway with various sensors on and everything. Yeah, Everything's yeah. being. The thing is, don't forget as well as when humans drive cars, we're using our eyes to see what's going yeah. on, and we're using our intelligence to try and predict what's going to happen based on experience and and physics. Well, you know, an autonomous car is going to be equipped with much better eyesight than we have, looking in much more different directions than, than we are. Um, they're, they're, they will be programmed to react quicker. Um, they'll have more information available to them. If they, well, not if they, but when they start talking to each other, that's going to be even even safer. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's not just Tesla as well. I mean, Tesla haven't gone for the sensors. They've actually gone for cameras. They're doing everything from cameras. And I think I saw a video a couple of weeks ago from, I think it was Toyota or another Japanese company. And they're just as far along as Tesla and they might even be more advanced. You know, they they don't need special roads. The the, the level of cameras and the level of technology that they're building in um, enables an autonomous car to drive on a normal road. You know, I, I used to think, oh, well, it'll never happen until, you know, they build special roads or they build special sensors into the roads so that, you know, cars can follow tracks and things. It's not going to happen. They're actually going to use, be able to use standard roads 
and just mimic the way that we drive, but in a much more safer, uh, a much more accurate way. I mean, there was a video a couple of months ago, you know, the Teslas are actually looking at cars ahead of the car in front of you. And there's an example where the car in front of the car immediately in front of the, the, the Tesla, you know, started to go ski whiff and it knew immediately that there was going to be an accident and it actually slowed down beforehand yes there will be a problem with the legislation and with the insurance etc and i think that the last thing i heard that elon musk's expecting that actually next year they'll have the technology ready for a fully autonomous car but it's probably going to be a year to three years before the regulations are sorted out but as of the end of this year i think he said that they fully expect to have a tesla you can get in a Tesla in Los Angeles, tell it to go to New York, and it'll be able to drive from Los Angeles to New York. Um, and that's not pre-programmed. That's just using standard roads and, um, you know, the, the the technology they have at the moment. And you can even change, you know, halfway to New York, say, no, don't go to New York, go to Chicago. It will actually take you to Chicago. Uh, but I, I bet, though, I bet if that... I'm sure that's technically possible, but I bet there's going to have to be a human in the front seat next to the steering wheel who is who is legally de- yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, designated yeah. as the driver. Yeah. And if if it happens, if someone some idiotic pedestrian runs in front of it too quick and and that person gets killed, and it turns out it's the driver's fault, it's going to be the driver's fault. It won't be Tesla's fault because there will still be a driver. I don't think there will be driverless cars in a legal sense. But that, that's that's again you're, what we're doing there is applying today's model. What this report is saying is we will not own cars; they will be owned by the companies who are providing the riding service. And and yes, they will if they got cameras on every every imaginable corner. Yes, there's going to be accidents because we're humans. I mean, people we will read the watch it looking at our phones while we walk out in the middle of the road and stuff. And and you know, I mean. How can you you can't protect against that nowadays? I mean, how's how's a how's an automated system going to protect? Well, it's not. It's but it's, they're going to have cameras and their lawyers are going. Well, the guy stepped out in front of me. What can what can we have done? Hmm. You know, or they'll build barriers along the pavement. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. The way it stands today, nothing would work properly. You know, as as all our legislation and all our roads, they're just not made for it. But I'm saying, come 13 years, if there is enough money behind this, they can certainly lobby and influence governments and and various transport organisations to, to put these things in place and to start getting them in place. And, and But th- th- that's all, you know, that's the warm, fuzzy side of it. That's what, how I'm seeing all that play out. Maybe not 2030, maybe, but probably in my lifetime, um, I think well, this, 2030, um, I'll be 60-odd. This Rethink X company that, that, who wrote this report, they're saying 2020 for, for, hmm. for autonomous cars to be legally well, allowed on the roads. And then in those 10 years up to 2030, that's when it ramps up, they're saying, to 95%. That's right, because that's when Alphabet and Ford are saying they'll have their first vehicles out ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Will the law be in, in place? I don't know. I don't think so. As we, I'll, well, I'll as, lay you a bet. We can, we can stick a Google, uh, <laughs> stick a calendar event in for, but of course, for this, a decade this is, from now, and there still won't be autonomous cars on the road. Oh, I'd take that. Of course, I'll take it. <laughs> but of course, this is the US, so not necessarily our, us in the UK. We might drag our feet a little bit because we've got all kinds of issues going on at the moment, but... Maybe in the US, there might be a stronger push to put, push this forward as well. Because they've got, you know, I've driven in America. I find driving in America a lot, well, it's boring, isn't it? Everything's just a straight road or a block. I mean, I, I know yeah. there's other, there's certain uh, areas of older America where basically the streets are like ours. But, you know, you drive around New York, it's not necessarily quite like London. We've got tiny little narrow streets that date back hundreds and hundreds of years. Um but so, but what it leads me to is 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 the displacement of a workforce. For example, I, I I don't believe necessarily cars will be the first things hit. I believe it will be trucks, for mm. example, be the first thing. You know, and and London taxi drivers they went hell for leather against 
like Uber when it I, we haven't got Lyft in the UK as far as I'm aware. We've only got Uber and and minicabs, and you know the tax the black cabs for two for now to try and stop these people coming in. Well, how are they going to deal with, you know, how are they going to deal with an autonomous taxi coming in? That doesn't have to learn the knowledge. It's born with the knowledge. It knows everywhere, you know, there is going. Bus bus drivers would also become redundant because a bus basically goes from A to B and then B to A again all day long. It wouldn't need, you wouldn't need loads of drivers, you know, and and lorries. For example, I I drive, there's, there's EC laws that dictate how long I can stay in a vehicle for and how much I can do. And all that would go away. It would become absolutely irrelevant. And you wouldn't necessarily have to put these big transportation hubs in the middle of the sea. Just have them on the outside, near major road hubs. Mm. And, and then all it's doing is, is motorway driving. Well, I, I, I really don't think so. I think legally there's still going to have to be a, a person oh. in the front seat called a driver. I can see in yeah, the freight industry, I can imagine there being um, – trains of lorries yeah where the truck at the in front has got the driver and maybe four five six trucks behind him are maybe empty and they're not physically linked with a chain or anything but they they're computerized linked and they're going to walk they're going to go along in convoy but he's in control at the front it's like a train driver still needs a driver even though it's on tracks it can't go anywhere else it's on a track it goes the same journey every day still needs a driver and i think that's what the freight industry will will require maybe they'll reduce um, the number of drivers because they'll have convoys of trucks some of which are just being pulled along by the the main driver but i think there's still gonna have to be a driver in the front one I think this is still just a transition phase, though, isn't it? There's, there's always going to be this transition. I think the question is, how long is the transition phase going to be? Mm. Um, whereas I, I, I think it's, it's probably going to be a lot quicker than, than we imagine, and you think it's going to be a lot longer. But yeah. it is, it is this mixed. Um, it, it's, it's two things. It's one, it's, it's the mixed environment. So you, I mean, it's probably going to be only truly, truly safe when everything's autonomous, because then you've got full integration of, you know, um, the road systems and the traffic, you know, all talking to each other. I mean, even now, I don't do that much driving now. I used to drive a lot when I was working in, in the corporate world, but I go, I go on the motorway now and I'm horrified thinking, goodness me, how unsafe is this? You know, with, with guys tearing down the, the fast lane, I, I would much rather be in an autonomous car. Um, that has you know state of the art equipment in, um, and is aware of everything that's going going on around and can react instantaneously to any any threat. Then um, you know, judging my own uh, experience in, in in driving, and I'm a, I consider myself to be a good driver, but you just don't know who else is on the road with you. And I, I think now, in ten years' time, we'll look back and think, how the hell did we let people? drive these huge hulking great big pieces of machinery at these speeds uh, without without autonomous uh, safety measures mm-hmm. and it does it, it scares me a little bit as well because obviously i am a driver um commercial driver and i do i i do see this having a massive impact on obviously my industry because because at the moment our wages are not that good because they've been pushed down by you know various cheap labor you can Take it any way you want because that's the case. I have not had basically a pay rise for five years because they don't need to. If you don't like the job, off you go. We'll just get someone else in because there's a mass of labor out there to do the job. Now, that labor force, although it is there, is also getting old because there's no young, very few young drivers coming into it because it costs so much now to get your special licenses and certification to go, you know, for example, CPC recently came in where you've got every five years you've got to go and sit in a classroom for 35 hours a week and learn a load of nonsense and it is nonsense because you don't even have to pay attention you just have to be there there's nothing and then he's sign a bit of paper saying yes you listened for 35 hours in a week mm-hmm. uh, for example and, and the young people are not 
really taking driving on as 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 a job no more because it's it's not it's not attractive it's too expensive and it's too much hassle um now i think it's also true to say as well that young people aren't interested in, in owning cars anymore because because when i when i was you know a teenager my ooh, let's get a car you know as soon as i could because yeah. mm. mobility but freedom now, yeah youngsters you know they, they they don't think about that now i don't i, I don't think that's it so, so as if, if this automation does go off, you know, firstly, I can see big companies like FedEx uh, and UPS and all these big, you know, haulage companies like um, uh, Eddie Stobart and, and things like this getting in. Of course, that will displace the real drivers in the fleet who will then have to come back down to my level where our company's not necessarily a big company and it can't afford the, the new and exciting technology innovations. <laughs> so they sort of push the wages down further. And then, you know, there's all kinds of things that will happen in society, for example. If you've got a totally automated uh, traffic system, then the old bill can't earn any money from fines because no one will be speeding. Councils won't be able to hike up stupid fines for parking illegally for four minutes because no one will need to park. So suddenly their budgets will get decimated and they'll have to go back and ask for more money, which means more taxes. And it's a whole headache i can see coming in a few years time <laughs> so we'll have massive unemployment we'll have uh taxes have to go up to pay for the police and the council which they because they can't get fines anymore there'll be autonomous vehicles buzzing around but it'll be great because none of us we can all get a ride for two two quid a go sure <laughs> <laughs> we'll become podcasters that's what it'll be. yeah exactly <laughs> this is where the money is don i mean come on you know that sir <laughs> so so it's a. Uh, it's interesting times. As they say, we always live in interesting times, and, and, and they're certainly going to get interested in the next 13 years or so. I, I can definitely see that. Of course, there is that possibility nothing will change because, <laughs> because we're all stubborn. Well, I think, I think the move to electric is inevitable. So the, the oil industry should be worried about this, no doubt. But I don't think, I don't think commercial drivers need worry because whilst we might have electric vehicles, I think they're still going to need a driver up front. Well, that's, that'll, that could lead to all kinds of problems. If, you, if you've got basically countries that rely on on selling oil mm. and then the majority of the world turns around and says we don't need that anymore then what are they going to do to survive <laughs> so, yeah. i mean you will get into all different kinds of problems then as well so it's it's but again like no, oil is a finite resource anyway so they you know they need to have plans for even if we didn't have electric cars and we just carried on burning all the fossil fuels eventually they'd run out anyway so wasn't it meant to run out in the 70s oh, i can't remember <laughs> I remember there was reports when I was young. There was about reports about they had to ration the fuel because it was running out and stuff. And then, oh no, we found some more. <laughs> I, I reckon they make it somewhere secret on Mars and ship it to Earth. That's what I reckon. <laughs> I think it will be like I, I always think back when I was uh, in the old days when I was just getting into IT. It, it seemed like uh, I knew about email and there were different email systems, but it, it seemed to me virtually overnight we went from having these weird very sort of uh, small islands of emails to suddenly um, a fully integrated email network and you could email anyone in the world. And it, it, to me, it actually seemed to happen overnight. I don't know whether or not I just wasn't aware of it, but it suddenly happened. I, I think it's going to be perhaps not as dramatic, but I think it's going to be that sort of order of magnitude that things will change because, you know, as 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 things progress and as technology progresses, you know, it is it is like a um, uh, so rapid, the changes that we'll see in the next five years will be much greater than the changes we've seen in the last 15 years. 
Mm. So, you know, I, uh, there is always the social side and, and always the regular regulatory side that's, that's perhaps might slow things down, but it's you know, the technology itself will, will rapidly advance and, mm. you know, people will, will struggle to keep up with that, I think. Well, they use a similar analogy in the report. They use the analogy of the iPhone, how it uh, came onto the scene and then it reached such a critical point when it all of a sudden exploded and you know, mass um, adoption across the world became the world's biggest selling product. Not quite overnight, but almost, you know, depending how you measure time. But um, I was thinking... That was the Galaxy. Yeah, that's right. Well, Sorry. I was going to say, Sorry, uh, cheap joke. Um, yeah, the iPhone and an autonomous vehicle is the iPhone like doesn't kill doesn't kill people potentially. But then, like you say, the the Note Seven could have potentially. No, sorry, so. not Galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Uh, anyway, it's an interesting report. Like I said, I, I will put a link to the actual report itself in the show description and on the website as well. So if you're so inclined, you can go and take a look at this thing. But it's 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 kind of enlightening because you know human advances and technology advances but it's also scary at the same time for me anyway but um yeah i'll put it in there so you can have a peruse if you if you so wish Make sure you have plan uh, b ready <laughs> yeah i'll live in a cave <laughs> we're gonna become the morlocks i'll become one of the morlocks and then we'll be fine we'll live underground we'll be banished by all the rich people and stuff you have to live under the ground and every time every now and again we'll come up and snatch one <laughs> I've been reading too many books. Anyway, <laughs> um, so let's move on to the rumour. Thank you very much. It's an interesting discuss- discussion anyway. I-, I like that subject. We'll probably come back to it in a few years if we're still going, so it's, it's good. Uh, let's move on to some rumours now, shall we? So this old rumour, people familiar with the matter are citing that talks have gone on between Apple and Amazon, and sometime in the third quarter of 2017, we will finally get an Amazon video app on our Apple TVs. Please, for the love of God. (laughs) This is one of those situations where the customer is losing out because they're having a little squabble for whatever reason. It's thus the customers get the bad experience, you know, because I either have to buy an Amazon TV or a little stick or I just go without it or or I can go down that route if I won't, but I will, but I I don't get any access to Apple movies or, or TV shows. And as I stated at the start of the show, I've invested far too much money to do that. Mm. So um, I just like them all together, and I want them to all to get on. And if, you know, the product, they should complement each other. They shouldn't be fighting and bickering about nonsense like this, for God's sake. Yeah. It's a hassle, isn't it, airplaying your Amazon stuff across to your Apple TV? It'd be nice not to have to do that anymore. It would. It would. I mean, they used to have – did they used to have it on? I can't remember now. It's been so long. <laughs> I don't think it's ever been on no, there, no. No, it's never been on there. But, it, you know, it's, it's – an. It's because they made a, a big deal, Amazon, about it before the new TV came out because there's no way we can put our application onto the Apple TV as it was back then. Of course, then a few weeks later, Apple bought out Apple TV 4 and suddenly they could and they still never did it. Yeah. So um, I know there's a beef between how much people get, but they don't even need to let me buy stuff through the Amazon t- uh, device. Just let me have access to Prime, which I do pay for. Mm. And I'm more than happy. They should be allowing me to watch anything I want on whatever I want as far as you know and i'd like apple to open up in the same way but you know that's all down to drm and nonsense like that it's interesting to ponder which party has caved here isn't it have amazon caved because they really need the presence on apple tvs or of of apple cave because they really need uh, content providers like amazon to join in their new tv app and uh you know make their their hardware more attractive yeah i mean it's, it's just i think it's Sorry, Don. No, I sort of get the impression that it's Amazon that's been holding back because they want they've been a bit protectionist and they wanted people to use the fire sticks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure Apple. I mean, just take any. Again, it's it's whether or not you can you can buy content through the uh, 
through the Amazon app, which you probably won't be able to, but you can still view stuff on it, which is all we want from the Apple side of things, really, I suppose. Yeah. Amazon don't sell the Apple TV hardware either, do they, on the Amazon no. store? Oh, right. Okay. Or Google TV. No. <laughs> it's all very childish, isn't it? I think it's very childish. Business. Oh. <laughs> oh, same thing. <laughs> Children in suits, I don't know. Or, or, or jeans and jumpers, I don't know. Uh, there was also reports about Apple surveying out. So, so it's appeared on their their website that they're now they have their Apple Maps vehicles out surveying Connecticut, which is the first time ever, apparently. But they've been doing this since 2015. They're out all over in 30 states, including uh, and also in the United Kingdom, Italy, France, and Sweden, mapping something. It looks like they're trying to put their own version of Street View together. Mm. Um, which would be nice. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else you can do. Street View is perfect. I use it all the time just yeah. to see where I'm going and if there's anywhere to park mm-hmm. when I get there. That's one of the so, best uh, uh, Google uh, innovations yeah. ever, I think, Street View. Yeah. It's fantastic. That's it. I used yeah, to use it before I was going to meetings and stuff. You just look, at, yeah. you know, look at the street you're going to. And it's amazing when you get there how, how nice it is to recognise stuff. It's as if you've been there virtually already. Mm. <laughs> Stalking. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember when Street View came out and people were up in arms because they thought people would look through their living room windows to see if they're in. <laughs> yeah. Remember those stories? <laughs> yeah, thought, that's right. How how on earth did you even open the paper to read that story, you idiot? <laughs> <laughs> of yeah, course, God. Apple have a vested interest now in making sure their map technology is as best it can be, especially if they do go down the route of uh, you know vehicles. That's uh, mm. a key piece to their to their. Apple car, true. I would imagine. True, true, true. Good stuff. Anyway, so uh, we've got a review this week. Uh, fantastic. This is a re-review, re-review, I think, as well, from uh, Macassi, Macassi. Um, and he says, yeah, exactly. Uh, Mac and Forth show, five stars. Uh, Mac and Forth, what can I say? A great podcast I followed from the off. First, a roundtable, then a magazine-formatted roundtable, then merged with EssentialApple.com, then reappeared as Cole's one-man opinion piece, and now <laughs> he has revolved back into Cole and guests. It's like a little history there. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, always a good listen, and they don't take themselves too seriously. Hey, hang on. I'll have you know I'm sitting here in a suit and tie, and so are my guests. We take this very seriously. <laughs> or claim to be amazingly prescient or especially informed. Wait. <laughs> this is what you call a backhanded compliment, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, they just like to look at the world around Apple, have their say, uh, recommended most highly from Serenak, also known as Simon. Thank you very much for that, Simon. You can hear Simon currently over on the Essential Apple Show as well podcast. You can catch up with him and Mark over there every every week. Um that's pretty much it. Uh, if you if we want to send us a review, we'd love to hear from you. If you head on over to iTunes, search for Mac and Forth and submit a review over there, we'd love to read it out on the show. Another way you can support the show, if you so wish, is our Patreon page. Obviously, we're on Patreon now, just like everybody else. But we don't want to go jet-setting around the world. We just want a little bit of money to help pay for the services we use, use to produce the show. So if you want to head over to Patreon uh, and help us out there, it'll be absolutely wonderful. Thank you to everybody who has pledged, by the way. It's greatly appreciated. Um, and I think that's pretty much it for this week. So all that's left, as usual, is to find out where we can get hold of everybody. So, Alan, where can we get hold of you, sir? Well, nice and simple. Uh, I'm Storm Gorelli on Twitter or Google+. And you'll be out this weekend, retreading your steps, looking for your fit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all eight miles of it, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Uh, Don, thank you very much for joining us today. Where can we hold you, sir? Um, We can find my weekly tutorials over at screencastonline.com. 
and also the Screencast Online magazine in the App Store, along with the SEO Showcase app, if you're not a member. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as Don McAllister, and um, uh, that's about it. What was your um, app of choice this week to uh, do a screencast about? Uh, app of choice this week? Well, I've just finished doing some tips. Um, so I've been doing some tips about Spotlight and stuff. Um, what did we do this week? Um, oh, and I've got one in the can for next week, which is I'm um, going to be revisiting pages. So uh, that should be uh, – I haven't covered it since they did the uh, the major update, and there's been some nice features added to pages. So uh, I've just finished recording that one. Okay. Um, I, I meant to ask you. This is great. I get to personally ask Don a question. Um, when did you have you done screens recently? No, no, I haven't done screens for a while because all my screen stuff stopped working. Oh, it's weird. I I've got to go back and and resell it all because now it just says I can't find that. I can't find that. I can't oh, right, find that. Okay. So I don't know what I've done, but I'm going to have to strip it all out and go back and do all that little bit of installation ah. of the little bits you do here there because it won't work in a moment it's a pain because it means i actually have to go and visit my dad when his mac goes wrong i mean come on what are you asking of me <laughs> never mind indeed um my name's carl man you get hold of me on twitter at clausio 101 you get hold of the show at mac and forth you can also follow us over on facebook and uh google plus if you so wish and i think that's pretty much it for this week so until next time hopefully you enjoyed our discussion about automation and, and things like this so until next time Stay safe and be nice to each other. Bye. Bye. Bye.